We're turning back to Jonah, and we want to read from the fourth chapter, Jonah, and chapter four. We'll just read the last verse, I think, from verse 10 of chapter three, uh, verse, yeah, verse 10 of chapter three, and then into chapter four. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them. And he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head, to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not laboured, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Amen. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's bow our head again in prayer. Our Father, as we come before thee this evening, we thank thee for the word of God, and Lord, there are so often things hard to be understood, even as Peter wrote of the writings of the Apostle Paul. And yet, Lord, we thank thee that in every part of the scripture there are lessons to be learned, and there are things that we can infer, and there are things, O oh Lord, which are plainly spoken, and there are things which we might infer from that which is plainly spoken. And Father, we pray that thou wast guide us and lead us by the Spirit of God, because, Lord, we know that thou dost speak uh, betimes through uh, parables, that those who hear might hear and not understand, those who see might see and yet be blind to what is being said. Therefore, we pray that thou wast have mercy upon us by giving us an understanding heart and spirit, and, Lord, that thou wast prepare us to receive thy word, that in whatsoever way it may challenge us, that we might recognize that challenge, that we might desire to walk with thee, 
And Lord, we pray that we might rather accept the chastisement of the Lord and go about that which is thy service and thy will, rather than to refuse it and go our own path and turn aside from that which is righteous. So bless our souls, we pray thee this night, with wisdom and with understanding. Lord, we pray that thou hast be glorified and that we might be turned the more to serve thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to think about the verses here from verse 6 to 8, really, uh, where we read the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. So here we have uh, three things which are prepared. A prepared gourd, a prepared worm, and a prepared vehement east wind, just in these verses. And of course there are other things which the Lord had prepared. He prepared a great fish, uh, didn't he, to uh, swallow up Jonah? And uh, he prepared a a ship also that Jonah might enter into it. The Lord has his preparations already set before us. But I'm sure we all know the story of Jonah, how that the Lord had called Jonah to go and to preach to the people of Nineveh and tell them that they had 40 days and then God would destroy Nineveh. That was the message he was to take. And of course, eventually, after seeking to escape and to run off to Tarshish, he went there and he preached the message and the people repented. It's amazing, isn't it, that uh, this nation, this heathen nation, uh, which uh, Jonah had no love for, um, and yet the Lord was able to change them. He was able to transform them in these 40 days. It doesn't take the Lord very long to work. We were thinking this morning from Habakkuk, uh, though it tarry, wait for it, for it shall surely come, it shall not tarry. And uh, there is a, a, a tarrying, sometimes waiting for the work of God to work, But when it does work, then all of a sudden it doesn't tarry. It it takes off in great speed. And uh, uh, we we think of uh, some things, of course, which we could use illustrations there. I was just thinking, uh, came to my mind, uh, a drag race uh, where the cars sit and you watch them and they go backwards and forwards and uh, they smoke their tires to make them hot and likewise and you wait and you wait and the lights change and all of a sudden uh, they go flying off down the track and they do a quarter of a mile in four seconds Uh, uh, certainly the fuel is uh, around four seconds four seconds and you wait all that time to see them the deafening noise coming from their uh, uncapped uh, exhaust pipes and then all of a sudden they're gone and they're flying down the track uh, for four seconds and that's the end of that race amazing but the Lord does a work in a similar way doesn't he and uh, we sometimes wait a long time and then all of a sudden uh, God begins to work and everything comes together because it's all being prepared by the Lord well there are three things which I want to draw your attention to here uh, from the scripture first of all in this preparation of the God God's mercy which is demonstrated I think there is something of, a, of a, uh, an illustration here in the gourd which rep- refers back to what the Lord was doing for Nineveh. And when we consider this uh, gourd which is prepared by God, 
Now, we recognize, first of all, that it was something which was unsought. Uh, Jonah didn't pray for God, to God that he would give him a gourd to come above his head. Of course, he would have been a strange man to have done so because he was only there because he was petulant, really. He, he was a, a man who didn't want to see Nineveh saved. He didn't want to be uh, there, the, the salvation of Nineveh. And it displeased Jonah exceedingly, we read in verse 1, and he was very angry. And he prayed and he said, uh, was this not my saying? that thou art a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger. And he goes then and he sits down, makes himself a booth of some twigs, I suppose, or whatever he could find out there as he looked over the city, and he waited to see what would happen. Well, perhaps he should have just taken his journey, but he was seeking uh, to see whether they would indeed repent and whether God would uh, destroy them. Uh, That was his desire, it seems. But nevertheless, we find that he is protected by the Lord. We can so often be of that attitude, can't we? We can be hard in our attitude. We'll see that in just a moment. But the thing is to say that God's mercy was unsought, and so it is in the world. Of course, uh, there is none that seeketh after God, no, not one. And and so out there in the streets and, and the people who live round about here, They're not seeking God. They're not coming to churches and trying church after church to see what the message is that they might learn about it. They have no interest in the things of God. Uh, They have no interest in the things of their souls. Indeed, they have uh, quite often uh, convinced themselves there's no such thing as a soul. They don't have a soul. They're just uh, creatures who live for a moment. That's even if they've thought about it at all. Most people, I think, don't really think about what comes after this life. Uh, If they're asked the question, perhaps their minds will go through some of the things that they may have heard other people say. Uh, They they might have some answer to give, but they've never really thought about it because there's so many things to do, isn't there? We we have children, we have houses, we have mortgages, we have have, uh, work to to do, we have relationships with people. There's so much filling our lives uh, and uh, in those parts of our lives that are not full, we seek after pastimes. We mentioned there uh, drag racing uh, in the part in, in, as one of those things that people go to. Uh, and we spend our money to go and sit in the stand and, and to see something or other, uh, football or rugby or wherever else it may be. And there's just so many things to do. There's no time to think about that which is spiritual. So there's none that seeketh after God. Yet nevertheless, God seeks after us. Jesus himself, when he comes into Israel, uh, says, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not that they sought him, but he sought them. Uh, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, he says to his disciples. And God is, is the one who is showing forth his mercy, even though we don't seek mercy. And Jonah here, upon this hill, as he looks there in his anger, the Lord prepares a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief, to deliver him from his grief. He is prepared by God. And of course, that deliverance also for uh, the people of Nineveh, who had no thought of the God Jehovah, the God of the Jews. Nevertheless, the Lord had a thought for them. And he says to Jonah at the end of this chapter, doesn't he? Uh, Should I not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? 
and also much cattle. Even the cattle God is aware of. He sees all things. And as Jesus says, even the, the sparrow does not fall to the ground without your father. Then we see not only is uh, the, this um, uh, gourd prepared by God, but it is provi- provided by grace. It's unmerited. There is nothing in Jonah that merits the, the fact that the Lord should cover his head and deliver him from his grief. Uh, he, he doesn't seek it, of course, we have already said. Uh, but really, uh, if we had a child with this kind of a petulance, we might well uh, be thinking to ourselves, well, uh, that if that's what they want to be, then let them, let them sit there and, and sit in their misery. Perhaps they'll overcome it. Uh, we're, we're not going to do anything for them. But the Lord is good. And the Lord looks upon Jonah and he is willing to cover him so that he might be protected. And the Lord also has a message. He has a, an instruction, a teaching to give to Jonah from this. It was Jonah's own fault that he was sitting there in the sun. He didn't need to sit in the sun. He could have stayed in the city. He could have found some lodging there. He could have returned back to Israel uh, as well, found perhaps his own house and gone in there. But he's sitting there on purpose just to see whether this nation or this city is going to be destroyed. And yet the Lord, in his grace, shows this great long-suffering toward him. And we think uh, about men and women and, and how much we strive against God. And even though we strive against God and we fight against God and uh, we don't agree with God's ways, and certainly Jonah doesn't agree with the ways of the Lord here. He knows that he's a gracious God, but he he is not uh, agreeing that the Lord should save these people. Yet for all of that, still the grace of God is shown to us. And we stand so often and fight against the Lord and spit in the face of God, and yet still his grace is there. His hand is outstretched to us. And he says, come unto me. And Jonah here has this covering, unmerited, but nevertheless provided for him. It was a protection also from grief. Uh, Here in the sun, he was in danger, of course. And we find that uh, very soon he was in a greater danger still. Uh, For in verse 8, it says that there came, God had prepared a vehement uh, east wind. My margin has a gentle or a sultry east wind, one which doesn't cool you down, but actually makes you worse. Uh, the Hebrew can bear a couple of different translations, and some have translated it as a, as a harsh wind, uh, one which lifts up the sand, and so uh, kind of a sandstorm as well, just to become more irritating and hotter. And the sun, of course, beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished in himself to die, uh, and he makes these things worse for himself, doesn't he? Uh, as I said, he could have gone back to his home. Where he had done his work, all the Lord had told him to do. If he didn't want to see the, the city delivered, then he didn't have to sit and watch. But he determines to sit and watch. And so often we bring these things upon ourselves. We, we make things worse for ourselves. And the Lord is there to protect him from grief. But he seems to seek it. He seems to, to look for it. And then when it comes, he says, it is better for me to die than to live. And I do well to be angry even unto death. He seeks death. Very strange. But we could say of the sinner also, do we not seek death? Is not the wages of sin death? 
And as we strive into more and more corruption and more and more sin, are we not seeking death? It's a strange relationship, I think, that humans have with death. Uh, we, we, are fe- we fear death on the one hand, uh, and yet we seek those situations so often which are likely to bring death quicker. Uh, there was in the, the newspaper the news of three young lads who died in a car crash uh, just in, in the last day. Uh, and uh, they were driving too fast, I think, uh, if I if I remember properly, but uh, there are many, of course, who die. Uh, there was a, a young people who died up on the, the roundabout, just up the road there, uh, some months ago. And it seems, from what I've heard, that they were high, uh, and they'd been uh, uh, breathing um, those gas canisters, and, uh, and they just crashed into there and, and, were, uh, and were destroyed. And we say, why do humans seek death? Why do we do such dangerous things? People tie elastic ropes around their ankles and jump over high bridges. Why? Why do we want to drive on the edge of death the whole time and, and cheat death? Why do people climb up cliff faces uh, where so easily they could fall and, and die? Again, there was another uh, article in the newspaper of a, of a man who fell from a, from a mountain and died, fell hundreds or thousands of feet to his death why do we why do we put our situ- ourselves in situations where we could die in my own life i remember a time uh, when i was uh, racing uh, in my youth i was about 17 i think racing a car and could quite easily have died uh, because of the uh, of the the crazy way that i was driving at the time and we put ourselves in this situation but of course in all of life if we're not seeking the lord we are putting ourselves in the face of death we are bringing death on. We say, it is better to, for me to die. But the Lord protects him from that grief. His destruction was imminent. And so was the destruction of Nineveh. But they perhaps were in a similar situation where they sought to die. And then also he produces gladness. This mercy demonstrated in the Lord produces a gladness. The, the deliverance was welcomed. It was by the Ninevites, wasn't it? Because they repented themselves, even the king, and gave an instruction that all people should repent in dust and ashes. And Jonah, we read, uh, was pleased that he was exceeding glad of the gourd at the end of verse 6. Exceeding glad. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Lord's grace and his mercy comes to, to us, we are exceeding glad, and yet people don't seek it. It's, it's very strange what the world will do practically anything to resist God. And yet when the Lord takes hold of a life and of a soul, he transforms it. And there is a gladness about us. It produced this gladness. God's mercy is demonstrated. And of course, the people of Nineveh were delivered too. But we see something about uh, Jonah also in this, in the prepared worm. We are uh, likened to worms on a few occasions in the scripture. Job certainly uses the term uh, two or three or four times in the book of Job. Uh, And uh, he speaks about him being a worm. And David also says, behold, but I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised of the people. Uh, And it's a natural function, of course, of this worm to to, uh, feast upon the gourd. I remember going out into our garden once. There was a, a toadstool 
I don't know what kind of toadstool it was. I saw it there and, uh, uh, and noticed it and thought that I'm not going to touch that because it could be poisonous. Uh, the next day I came out, just one day, I came out the next day and it had sort of melted into the ground and was filled with tiny little worms. Uh, and so the worms had destroyed it and, and they had feasted upon it. Uh, very strange, and I thought of this, this story straight away, of God preparing a worm. And so the worm was provided. But you see, the worm in us is sin. The worm in us is that which destroys us. The worm uh, which continues through our lives, a worm of destruction. And of course, we know that the worm is spoken of in destruction. Isaiah 66 and verse 24, which is where uh, those words of the Lord Jesus Christ are, uh, are taken from, really, when he says, as it's recorded in Mark 9, 44, for instance, three times in Mark, these words are written, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Comes from Isaiah 66 and verse 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die neither shall their fire be quenched and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh their worm shall not die neither shall their fire be quenched these are fearful words in actual fact why does the worm not die because it continually feasts uh, the, it, it, when, the, when the gourd is gone of course there's nothing for the worm to eat but here the worm doesn't die because there is a continual feast it is eternal the fire is not quenched because there is a continual burning. Uh, we know the fires eventually will go out because all of the fuel has been consumed. But here the fire is not quenched. There is a continual burning. And this is, uh, if I might say, the worm which works within us, which is working here within uh, Jonah uh, because of sin. And sin works in us in this world. And then in that uh, judgment and in the world to come it continues to work uh, and it continues to be our destruction I'm always uh, mindful of the words of James which talks about the tongue being set on the fire of hell uh, the word there being Gehenna uh, set on the fire of Gehenna and what is that fire well if the tongue can be set on the fire of Gehenna I wonder whether the tongue is the fire of Gehenna as we judge ourselves, as we relate our sins and the uh, errors of our lives and the things which were uh, the opportunities perhaps of salvation even and our confession and our crying out. Uh, we remember how uh, that the words of the Sanhedrin against Stephen, it says they gnashed on him with their teeth. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was a gnashing of anger a gnashing of anger, an anger in hell, a, a, a continual confession in hell, a terrible misery in hell. The worm of sin is not destroyed. It continues throughout eternity. And the fire is not quenched. The fire of our tongues. It's perhaps significant that the rich man and Lazarus, uh, that the rich man says to Abraham, send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Is that the judgment that shall be? Not the devil poking us with a stick, as some people seem to think that that's what it will be. But our own conscience, our own memories, our own sins, which are the torments of hell. 
And we see that also this worm is a parasitic work. And that's what sin is. It's a parasite. It works upon us. It destroys us from within. It destroys lives. It destroys families. It destroys businesses. It destroys nations. It destroys everything which is good. A parasitic work. And this is the thing which is working in Jonah here. Even to bring him to desire death. How sad. And that is the work that goes on within the hearts of men and women who need this salvation. And yet the Lord demonstrates his mercy. Prepares the gourd to cover Jonah. And there is a salvation given to him. But then, of course, we see that the thing that happens here as the Lord prepares the worm. And when the morning rose the next day, it smote the gourd that it withered. And then we see what happens when there is no protection of God, when there is no grace, when there is no mercy, when we are left just to the elemental fury, which is unabated. And we see the torment which is unleashed here uh, upon Jonah's head. First of all, the sun did arise, verse 8, that God uh, prepared and, and also God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah and he fainted and wished in himself to die. This seems to me to be like a, a description of hell in some ways. Uh, those in hell dis desiring to die, even though they are dying, even though this is the second death. Oh, that it might end. Oh, that it might cease. But the son, of course, uh, we speak in the scripture of the son of righteousness. It is the very presence of God. It is the fact that God's hand is there in pure righteousness. There's a sermon uh, which I read once. I um, can't remember who it was. Campbell Morgan, I think it was, who preached the sermon. Dwellers in fire. Uh, and the, the, the child of God, we are the ones who dwell in fire. But we, through this life, by the grace of God, are prepared to dwell in the fire. Uh, and of course, things can dwell in fire. Uh, some things are prepared to dwell in fire and in great heat and rejoice in it. But other things are destroyed and they are consumed. And the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians speaks about the fire which will test every man, uh, every man's works of what sort they are. And they have the gold, the silver and the precious stones which abide the fire and the wood and the hay and the stubble which are burned up in the fire. So the torment is unleashed here. If it's not for the grace of God, if it's not for the, the gourd, if it's not for the covering which God gives to us, it beats upon our heads. Our God is a consuming fire, we read in Hebrews. Without saving grace and the blood protection, we are left open to judgment and eternal destruction. When the tempering is absent, uh, they know that, uh, that Job sought to make for himself a booth and he sat under it in the shadow. But there is a, a vehement east wind which is coming also. Uh, and the sun is, is shining through, it seems, the booth. And that gourd which the Lord prepared, which was covering his head, is now gone. And the torments are upon him. The tempering of those things have gone. And it's a wonderful thing if you go out of the blaring sun into some grove and you're underneath the, the dappled light of the trees and the breeze is blowing through there. There's nothing quite like it. Uh, it, it there's a, a coolness about being in the forest or in the wood. And here the Lord protects, protects uh, Jonah here. 
there is uh, here uh, a wind, a sultry wind. And then finally the trial is overwhelming. Overwhelming to the point that Job says, it is better for me to die than to live. He has been brought even further. He, he has already said this once. For he says there in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And yet he goes up into, uh, up onto the hillside on the east side of the city, makes himself a booth, sits under it, that he might see what would become of the city. But he's got worse and worse as the time has gone on. And now he is saying, uh, It is better for me to die than to live in verse 8 because of the wind and the sun beating upon him. And the Lord said, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. How sad. How sad that was. And the world becomes angry. Becomes angry at God. They say, no, we don't believe in God. But they are nevertheless angry at God. And that anger brings about this greater desire after death they run toward death as one of the puritans said with great strides eating up the ground desiring death they run from life and from grace and from god i wonder where we stand we might know that the mercy of god is prepared for us that the lord has made a way of salvation that we might be delivered Doest thou well to be angry 